uh, evening, um, I would like to uh, address some of the uh, essential uh, features uh, of the uh, meditations and the relationship of the meditations to the here and now situation. And I was um, just with uh, Shadra and I were just uh, speaking to uh, Edwin a few minutes ago. He's the uh, director uh, here at IMS. And we were just taking a, um, a general overview, or some might call it the wandering mind, um, with relationship to uh, past, present, and future, and the way that in a, a generation, really, Dharma teachings and practices are getting uh, established very significantly uh, in, in the West. And as so often with these things in the rise and fall of uh, circumstances, just a few weeks ago in Japan, there was uh, a meeting, one might even call it an emergency meeting, of uh, Buddhists in Asia expressing a great deal of concern about the rapid decline of the religion, of the faith. And despite having plenty of monasteries, monks and priests and uh, nuns in the various uh, countries, yet being unable to withstand all the other pressures. And as we well know, not only is it materialism, but uh, corruption and abuse of human rights, etc. And one of the major conclusions that this uh, international body uh, came to was that A, there weren't enough people who were able to uh, teach the Dharma, to give the practices, to show uh, the liberating influence of the Dharma, and there weren't enough people as a result who were really practicing it and applying it, and therefore falling back on religious faith and all that uh, might go along with it. And it's a very uh, realistic perception of what is taking place in other uh, parts of the world. And in consideration and relationship to that uh, here, uh, that is here, here in the West, the teachings and practices are the two faces of the Dharma, and it's what actually applies and works well in our daily life is obviously what matters, and I spoke a little bit about this to you this morning and uh, more so uh, yesterday evening. In all of that, sometimes for those of you who are new or relatively new to these things, even some words can sound a, a bit strange initially, and uh, one of them is the word Dharma. And in the Sanskrit, this old uh, Indian language, it's D-H-A-R-M-A, and in Pali, that's the language which the texts uh, were recorded in some 300 years, 10, 12 generations after the life of the Buddha, spelt, if I remember, D-H-A-M-M-A, and essentially is, uh, means the uh, body of teachings which are concerned with three major areas of life. The body of teachings concerned with three major areas of life. One is uh, the ethics, 
and uh, Sally spoke to you yesterday evening and it's a way of life which is genuinely and in a sustainable way committed to living in a way of not harming and not exploiting and not abusing others. That one has a genuine uh, commitment and inner work and exploration with regard to that. So there's the ethical principle, the second area of the training, practice of the discipline. Uh, it's twofold insofar as it's bringing awareness to situations and in its formal aspect referring to uh, meditation, to uh, a depth of uh, presence with life. And the third is uh, wisdom, finding what it means to live with wisdom and, of course, ultimately uh, knowing that wisdom which is truly illuminating, truly liberating, enlightening. And therefore, Dharma teachings and Dharma practices are only and exclusively uh, concerned with ethical foundations, non-harming, non-hurting, non-cruelty, non-cheating, non-exploiting first. Secondly, uh, meditation, awareness, depth of being. And thirdly, uh, wisdom and liberation as the uh, fulfillment of wisdom. And so people say to us, oh, what, is, what, what do you mean by spirituality? That's what we mean. What do we mean by Dharma? That's what we mean. And similarly, if uh, we expand and explore uh, inquiry and investigation into living in this world through different teachings, different teachers, different places, different people, different groups. I would say we won't go far wrong, we won't go get lost, it's easy to do, if we remember that threefold priority. If one remembers to ask oneself, where is the ethic here? Where is the depth of awareness in this? Where, where is the, the wisdom which is liberating in this? And if we keep that as our, our priority, that gives us the opportunity, I would say, and the right and the privilege to explore and expand without getting lost in the so-called spiritual supermarket. And there are a few out there who uh, tend to wander from one thing to another, a little hit here and a little hit there and a little hit uh, somewhere else, and rather than saying, well, what's the essential core priority with the teachings, with practices? And not only applying that general principle in uh, uh, the teachings and practices, but also, of course, in daily life as well. If one is studying in a relationship, Work, working, if one is indoors or outdoors, where's the ethic here? Where's, where's the place of awareness here? Where is the wisdom of the heart in all, all of this? And therefore they uh, act, hopefully, as wise and skillful uh, resources for us. What that means in coming and in participating in a retreat is that in being here, it might well be just on the first day of the retreat, let alone waiting another week, just on the first day of the retreat, 
various um, issues can be arising. So, despite our very good intentions to be mindful of the breathing and to experience uh, the feet taking a step-by-step -step activity or uh, standing uh, still indoors or outdoors, it's not at all unusual, it's, it's probably the common, in which the mind, the inner life, has a completely different agenda. And so one's got one's agenda to be a meditative, clear, uh, illuminated human being, and the mind says, <laughs> not a hope. <laughs> and, uh, and it's got something else which is going on, so that if one um, finds oneself uh, reaching the end of a sitting and one has actually noticed a single in-breath and out-breath, one finds oneself doing a hundred thousand prostrations before the self which achieved it. And, uh, and the rest of the period of the time um, seemed to be everything else but. So, therefore, one has the, the miracle of 1% uh, of the time with the breath, and the less miraculous 99% issues which are arising. And in the, whatever those issues, for some which are arising, can have, of course, quite a, uh, a deal, great deal of substance, apparently substance to it. In other words, sometimes it's not just the mind is wandering and drifting and uh, unsettled, but actually something is going on and it's going on strongly, it's pulling on the consciousness, and there's a, an attraction towards something, or an aversion towards something, or whatever, and there is some turmoil uh, going on. And it's the last thing that any human being would want, and the mind can raise all sorts of concerns, why should I be feeling this? Why should I have to be going through... Uh, this, I don't like this, I didn't come here to have to feel this, think this, or whatever. And it reminds us uh, all too well of the frequent comment of the, the Buddha, that all this, whatever it is that's going on, is just going on. That's what's going on. And it seems rather strange that living in a culture which makes, uh, which worships the, at the altar of choice, that the things which matter to us seems to make a laughing stock of choice. The funny old world of self-deception that we live in. The Dharma teachings, as I say, threefold aspect to it, very, very important, all, each and every one, they all relate and interconnect with each other. And a major feature of it, of course, has been said already, is to be right here and now, and in being uh, right here and now, even in the commitment to it, you and I, we notice just how much of the time we are not. The very intention to be reveals what we can't be with. Funny old world. So even though the resolution and the intention can be very, very strong, so much else can be going on which seems to refute 
deny, make a joke of, rather a sad joke often, but make a joke of all of our, what? Our choices. Makes sense. A joke of our choices. So, you see, how is it that here we are living in this, in this world, worshipping at the altar of, uh, of, of choice, and we sit down and we say, oh, I choose to sit down. Big deal. And yet, what matters to us, and what's extremely important to us in life, is what's actually going on with heart, mind and body. If this isn't right in this world, it seems like nothing is right. How is it that we find ourselves in such a situation where some of the things which matter to us greatly seem to refute choice? Like birth. Who on earth asked to be born? <laughs> in a particular place with particular people. Yeah, every one of us would say, yeah, well, birth has certainly had some significance on my life because without it, I wouldn't have it. And yet, here we are. And there's our uh, Christian brothers and sisters uh, re will remind us from time to time. They have a rather lovely one-liner um, that God gave us our friends and the devil gave us our relatives. And... Sometimes we find ourselves uh, in situations and we say, gosh, I, 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 I arrived, I landed, I was born in this situation. I don't think I had any choice about it. We look at our life and the movement of our life and the passage of time and we say to ourselves, golly, I'm aging. What choice is there about it? And I can go to uh, the local bookshop and pick up a book which has got the word, I don't, won't say the uh, author, got the word ageless in the title. <laughs> and I go back to the mirror and I see where there's a contradiction in, in what I'm told and what I see. And I haven't met a single sentient being in my whole existence who doesn't appear to be aging. I seem to have no choice. I just, I'm just in the process of aging. And that's the, the, the fact of it. I say, well, uh, there are these various choices which in my relationship to life, yet when I sit, or just in the circumstances of other events of life, what matters to me is the quality of my inner life. Who would choose to be depressed? Who would choose to be unhappy? Who would choose to live in fear? Who would choose to be anxious? Who would choose to be angry? Who would choose to be violent? It seems like when we look at our inner, in our life and the very process of our life, we can cling enthusiastically to the notion of, uh, of um, I, I want to be free to choose what I want to do. But if I'm really honest and I just stop and be still for a moment, 
say, I can't just sit in the meditation hall or do a walking meditation and say, all right, I now choose to be clear, bright, compassionate, loving, grateful, generous, warm, intelligent, thoughtful. What are the other things we dream up? Um, enlightened, liberated, in nirvana, here and now, and to the rest of my life. Mind would say. <laughs> Just say, oh, wait and see. So, there's extraordinary situation of our, of our life going on that when we attend to it, sometimes in difficult ways, we are exposed to that which we do not choose to be exposed to. We are exposed to that which we do not choose to be exposed to. And sometimes every sitting and walking and standing and every moment of the silence keeps showing us that again and again. It ought to bring a little humility. It ought to. It ought to raise a little question about all this propaganda and indoctrination about choice when the things which really matter to me, I can't just say, I choose to stop it. I can't just say, I choose to be happy. Should sober all of us up. So, teachings and practices. Not to say there's no choice and we're all um, uh, conditioned blobs wandering around or anything uh, like that. But teachings and practices, uh, the intention with them is to perhaps, as much as possible, certainly make things more clear. Just because of what arises and what stays and what passes, uh, is uh, present and just because I don't choose to have it yet I experience it doesn't mean to say it can't change follow sometimes it's a, a, a long day and all is forgiven if you prefer to sleep in the evening talk but sometimes as I say things arise which are difficult and unpleasant Coming out of the mind, out of the feelings, out of the thoughts, out of the memories, out of the plans. I look and I say to myself in simple honesty, I don't choose to experience this. I prefer not to have it. But, and even though I know I haven't chosen it, and even though I know I don't want to have it, nevertheless, I can bring awareness to it, I can it, it can be transformed. And that capacity of a human being to transform her or his situation comes with what? It comes with insight. It comes with insight. It comes with seeing clearly and not clinging and holding on to what's taking place. And therefore, an essential aspect and feature of the teaching that if something is difficult going on, sometimes, I'm not saying it's the solution or a simple answer, but 
Sometimes the first question we need to ask, ask ourselves, am I going to continue holding on to this? What does it mean to change the relationship to this? What is it to look at it differently? What is a completely fresh way of attending to rather than the unhealthy, unhelpful, unskillful, conditioned way that I've done. Therefore, in our sitting and in our walking and our standing, not only bringing awareness and mindfulness to, to the moment, but as I say, sometimes to stop and say, well, there's difficult stuff going on, what is it to look at this truly diff- in a truly different way? really unfamiliar to me. Because the familiar way of looking isn't helpful. So if we're going to speak of choice, let's, 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 let's explore, let's, let's speak of it in terms of um, opening out our life. In, in just a few months ago, um, this reminds me especially with the, the, the problem of, uh, that, that goes on in the, uh, in, in the religion, in, in, in Buddhism, in, in, in various uh, ways. Uh, I had the uh, privilege uh, last year of coming to, uh, going to uh, Washington, uh, uh, D.C., and it's a very short uh, trip, and usually I'm very uh, hesitant to make uh, uh, journeys, uh, especially uh, across the pond, one might say, from um, uh, England to the US when one's only making it for a short period, and this was, in fact, uh, three days. And the reason that I, I went was some... Some of you will know and be familiar with uh, the, the, the terrible plight of uh, Cambodia, not only from two decades ago, but uh, uh, currently uh, as, as well. And ever, if ever a country needed tremendous uh, uh, support in a whole variety of ways, uh, certainly Cambodia is uh, one of those. And in arriving in Washington, I met with a dear friend of mine, some of you will know, Venerable Maha Goshananda who is a patriarch of uh, Cambodia. He and I were in the same uh, monastery together. And I regard him as uh, a true uh, saint of this uh, earth. And so we were was there making, uh, contributing to making a documentary and interviewing him. The reason I was interviewing him because he's extremely difficult to interview and because he says very, very little. And, uh, and I know the way of Mahagoshananda. And we were standing on the steps of uh, Capitol Hill and the world's media there. And it was a situation where two weeks after the death of Princess Diana, and it was with regard to the anti-personnel mines. And the press wanted him to say something. He'd been nominated for the Nobel Prize four times. 
So very quietly, he got off the, sitting off the steps, and he walked quietly up to the uh, whole battery of microphones and media in front of him. And he said, the landmines, antipersonal mines, which are in the ground, start from the antipersonal minds, which are in our own mind. That's where they start. So not only do we have to uproot the antipersonal minds in the ground, three million of them in the ground in Cambodia, but also those in our own minds. And then he said, Amen. And went back to sitting on the steps with the rest of us in the demonstration. And the media all pushed forward wanting more and more. And I thought it was the best one-line soundbite I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> and naturally and spontaneously and, uh, and, and beautifully. And they use it as a story, as an illustration uh, here, that the action of attending to the inner life, which we're engaged in here, is a human duty. It's a responsibility. And it's always too easy to avoid and escape that responsibility. And one of the ways that we do that to obscure the responsibility is through blame. Through blame. Never to underestimate the potency of blame. And that blame can go anywhere and in any direction. It can go to those we love dearly. It can go to people and situations. And equally and obviously, it can go to ourselves as well. And blame obscures the opportunity for really, in real deep inner change. We speak often in the meditation hall of the, the potency of the negativities, the potencies of the judgmental mind, of the laying the number on ourselves uh, or, or on others. And it's not easy, but it's a kind of uh, smokescreen. It's a way that the mind uh, moves and gives shape to itself to stop looking behind it. Stop going deeper. It's a skill, it's a practice. It needs uh, meditations to, to be vigilant and aware that when we are getting caught up and things are not going in life as you and I uh, might wish them to because life doesn't belong to the self. And we need to be extremely mindful of it, of blame. Resentment, negativity, finding fault, in which the deluded self is at work and wanting things to be just so on its terms. And life will not meet the self. Life will not fit into the demands of the self. It's not life not made like that constructed like that. It, it is not true. 
can just get a little insight into this, a little understanding. We have uh, contributed significantly to fulfilling the insight of the Venerable Mahagoshananda. That is to uprooting the landmines in ourself, where we lay the number on ourselves or on others. wonderful service to humanity you and I live without resentment and blame wonderful service we've brought an integrity and a dignity to our life just through one feature of life and attending to that and if we are on the receiving end of it and people are on the receiving end Nobody can go through life and not be on the receiving end of other people's blame, other people's negativities, other people's aggression and resentment. Nobody gets through life without being on the receiving end of it. But can we just be clear enough? This is an indication. This person can't handle a situation. This person's mind can't cope with it, can't accommodate it can't deal with it. Therefore she and he throwing out their aggression towards me, their violence towards me, their negativities towards me, their hostility towards me. Can we be just clear enough in life just to see that? Maybe you know. Maybe already today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe after the next small group meeting or whatever, one can walk out fuming. Fuming about something. The way somebody walks, the way somebody eats, the way somebody drinks their tea, the way somebody gets off their meditation cushion, whatever. Can we just see, hey, look at this m movement that's going on. Mindfulness of breathing, God, forget that. This movement that's going on. But not give it reality. Not impart to it authority. Take the authority out of it. As an act of kindness to yourself and an equal act of kindness to others. So when speaking of meditation and practice and of, uh, of uh, awareness, it's not a uh, a navel-gazing uh, exercise. It's to deal with the extraordinary significance that heart and mind, uh, the place of it, the extraordinary significance of it in life. It matters, obviously. It matters for our own welfare and it matters for the welfare of others. Therefore, we attend to it. If anything is worth attending to, it's the condition of the inner life. It certainly has got to be at the top of the list. The inner life changes, everything is changed. Something comes out of us, our whole view of existence is changed. The, the way we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, the way we look at things, with our attitude, everything changes if the inner changes. We can enlighten the inner. And therefore we enlighten life. 
sit with awareness, we walk with awareness, we stand with it, we recline with it, we eat with it, we listen with it, we talk with it, we help to bring light to what is. Very lovely thing to do. Couldn't be anything, couldn't, nothing could be better. And as I say, we pay respect to ourselves and we pay respect to others through the act, that activity. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with insight. May all beings see deeply into the nature of things. So let's have a few minutes of a shared silence together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.